This is Jewish Board Talk with Cherie Zephard, only on 101.9 High FM. Does the hijab, the scarf covering worn by Muslim women, perform the same function as a shaitl or wig used by Jewish women to cover their hair? Is there an equivalent for men in either of the religions? And to what extent are gender relations defined by both Islam and Judaism? This is the second part of a series of four which looks at the differences and similarities between Jewish and Islamic practices. I have two experts with me to explore how applicable this is when it comes to dress. Rabbi Ramon Woodmont, Dean of the Academy of Jewish Thought and Learning, and Mohammed Nur Nadin, Social Commentator, Thought Leader, and Risk Analyst. If you have any questions for them, please send it to info at academy.org.za, and they will answer your questions in a Zoom webinar to be held on the 13th of December at 7.30 p.m. Um, Rabbi Woodmont and Mohammed Nur, welcome and thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. Thanks for having me. To the average person in the street, would they easily be able to identify a religious Orthodox Jewish woman and a practicing Muslim woman? Mohammed? I think, you know, um, you definitely would be able to identify uh, even a moderate, you know, a a Muslim woman who just just wears a normal scarf. I think that has become a huge symbol of of Islam. You know, uh, even if you see a family walking uh, and if you see the woman wearing a scarf, you would more or less know with 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 with, with relative certainty this um this is a, a, a Muslim woman, uh, and of course if you go into again if you go into some parts of the Muslim world like into Pakistan, Nigeria, Mali, etc., then the hijab or the scarf, or in or in the Middle East you know proper the Gulf and so forth it takes on different variations, different colors, different uh, uh, it's, it's altered a bit, but it all serves the same purpose you know of covering the hair, covering as much as possible of the body. So you definitely are able to identify a Muslim woman uh, by her hijab or a Muslim family by the hijab that, that the wife or the woman or the, or the, the females wear in the family. Reverend one similarly for Jewish women? So I think in, in as regards Jewish women, it's, it is quite different. Um, I think regarding the, the basic scarf that Muslim women wear, um, often it's impossible to tell the difference between when a lady is a Muslim or a religious Jew, um, just by, just by the head covering because particularly the women who just wear a, a simple scarf around their heads, as is often done in our country, uh, it's very similar to some of the head coverings that, uh, that Jewish women wear. Um, if in the Jewish world there's a, a broad difference and, and you know, I express my hesitation speaking about this, uh, because obviously I'm not a woman, and I think uh, a Jewish woman's voice would be important here uh, as well. But within the Jewish world, there are basically two types of, of head covering. Within the, the Jewish world, with people coming from the more Middle Eastern spaces, women generally use scarves or hats to cover, the, to cover their hair. Um, and uh, men similarly will do the same with large head coverings, though different to the women's. Within the Within the parts of the Jewish world which hail from the European countries, um, women women will often wear a wig, or which is known in Yiddish as a shaitel or a shaitel. And uh, in different parts of the Jewish world, they may they may simply put the wig over their hair, uh, and that's generally what it, generally what is done. And, and it's often impossible for a person like myself to even know that they are wearing. A wig, uh, my, my wife often laughs at me. I have no, I have no clue because, uh, they're so lifelike. And that is a whole world of discussion in and of itself as to 
why that is done when, you know, it's, it's so, it's, it's so indistinguishable from the real thing. But uh, in, in all cases, the idea of both for women and for men is primarily to express a sense of reverence for God that uh, there's something higher than one. And therefore, both the men and the women will cover their hair. Um, and in the, in the Middle Eastern jury until quite recently, um, uh, both married and unmarried women had some sort of head covering. Um, and uh, that was nothing to do with reforms in the Jewish tradition, but that was a fundamental expression of reverence for God. Rabbi, you talk about reverence for God. Um, to what extent is reverence for God sometimes confused with ideas of modesty? And again, for both of you, to what extent is this um, uh, reverence and to what extent is it modesty? Um, Rabbi, go ahead. So primarily head coverings, primarily head coverings are about reverence. That's the first thing in the Jewish space. Um, there's an idea of, uh, of expressing simple idea that there's something above your own head, above you, higher than you. Um, and that one not only shows reverence towards God, but that essentially that God's, um, God's decisions, God's morality is about ours. And, uh, but, you know, at the end of the day, that as difficult as it may be, that uh, doing the right thing and the moral thing is what we need to do. And, uh, that's our purpose on earth. So that's the, the first statement. And that, that is something that's expressed for both men and women already from Talmudic times onwards, that there should be morashamayim, the, the awe of heaven or the fear of heaven upon a person. The second element is one of modesty. And modesty is a concept that applies equally to men and women on an anarchic level. Uh, the concept applies equally. The implementation is different. And generally in Jewish law, it has varied from society to society, depending on what each society um, implements. And it's a broader societal thing. And this goes for dress. It goes for language. Uh, there's a, a famous verse in the Bible, walk humbly with God, with God, walk humbly modestly with God. And the idea is that in all ways, one should walk modestly, one should behave modestly, one should not behave arrogantly. And uh, the idea of modesty over here, once again, will come back to a sense of subservience and a sense of honoring Hashem, honoring God. As regards, as regards both men and women in dress, particularly, there there grew a, a particularly strong emphasis on, and this is part of the the general sexual morality within the Jewish space of of each gender behaving in in a particular way and dressing in this particular way that's not particularly sexually provocative. And in this space, obviously, head covering, particularly in the 20th and 21st century, has taken on a huge perspective that it's uh, that it's looked at as basam, particularly within the feminist space, as a way to to subjugate women to men in a patriarchal society from a traditional Jewish approach. Um, it is not looked at that way. Traditionally, Jews view both men and women as responsible for creating a sexual ethic, a gender ethic within the society where not only are there certain gender roles, but there's a certain way that uh, relationships are built between men and women so that those relationships are held with both respect and with a certain tension sexually so that sexual tension is there, but that it's not out of control. Mohammed Nur? I think you ask an important question regarding hijab and, and, and reverence for God and morality and so forth. In Islam, I don't, we, 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 we cannot differentiate between morality 
and reverence of God and, 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 and obedience to God and so forth. But within the issue of hijab, it's very interesting that the, the issue of hijab as the word, you know, the, the concept mentioned in the Quran, it's a very specific instruction, very specific injunction. And hijab is actually what you would call, uh, uh, to an extent, it's an extension what Islam views, uh, how you protect yourself or how you engage yourself in, in a dress form, in dress code relating to modesty. So in Islam, there's something called awrah, A-W-R-A-H. And that is basically the parts of your body that are compulsory to cover. You have to cover these parts. And for a woman, it's the whole body, except the face and the hands and, and the feet. This is, this is according to, to, to traditional uh, texts and traditional interpretations, which is why if you go to parts of the Muslim world, you know, like Malaysia, Indonesia, you'll see the type of hijab they wear there. It's very colorful, but it's like a burqa, which is quite long. And you see the face and the hands, quite colorful. If you go to, to parts of the Muslim world in the Middle East, Egypt and so forth, you'll find women that wear long sleeves, long shirts, uh, and the face will show. That is, uh, that is, that, that, that is the aura. Uh, and so the hijab, Although people, although the hijab is, is, it refers, I think more traditionally, more culturally to the headscarf, but the woman's hijab is actually what covers her whole body. And so the man also has, quote unquote, a aura, a part of his body which have to be compulsorily covered, and that is from the navel down to the, uh, to, 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 to the knees. So meaning that if you contravene this and you expose the parts of your, other, the parts of your body which are not supposed to be exposed, you have, you, have, you have committed sin. Um, it's, and you've contravened a law of the Quran, a law of, of the Sunnah, a law in Islam, you know, which has been established through the text and so forth. The issue of, it's very interesting, you know, because the covering of the head uh, 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 for men is not compulsory. Although during salah and prayer, there are many religious opinions uh, which actually encourage it. Uh, and there are some, I won't call them fringe, but there are a few religious opinions which, which actually say that it, that it is a necessary and a must for one to cover one's, one's head, uh, a male, when they, when, 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 when they engage in formal prayer, salah, and so forth. And I'm, and, and I, I think it's not, I won't say, I think I believe Islam and Judaism, uh, and, and, you know, are, are almost totally aligned when it comes, you know, to issues of, of, of sexual morality, uh, you know, uh, consciousness, uh, about these issues. But hijab is a very strict, uh, defined form of dress. But it's very simple. It basically says a woman's whole body uh, can, not, or no part of a woman's body can be exposed other than the face, the hands, and the feet. And if you go across the Muslim world, you'll find different expressions of, of, uh, of how this uh, is, 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 is implemented. Okay, we're going to take a short break. And after the break, we're going to look at the concept of um, gender roles within both the religions. This is Jewish Board Talk with Sharice Zephard, only on 101.9 High FM. Welcome back to Jewish Book Talk. I am talking to Rabbi Ramon Whitman, Dean of the Academy of Jewish Thought and Learning, and Mohammed Nurunuddin, social commentator and risk analyst. We are discussing in the second of four part series, Dress Within the Jewish and Muslim Religion. You are welcome to send your questions to the experts who will answer them in a special Zoom webinar that will be held on the 13th of December at 7.30 p.m. If you'd like um, to send them questions, you can do so to info at theacademy.org.za. 
gentlemen in all religions, not only Judaism and Christianity, there's um, gender defined roles for men and women. In terms of what the dress, in terms of what you're saying regarding the dress, there are huge similarities between our two religions on that score. Is it the same for gender roles and how women and men um, are perceived to put, to put, put, play a specific part in the religion, or Rabbi Whitman? Maybe Muhammad would like to go first. I went first last time. Definitely. I mean, you know, uh, Islam being uh, just, I mean, not like not like Judaism in the sense of our Judaism is much older than Islam, but we're relatively 1,400 years, you know. A lot of Islam, or most of Islam, almost all of Islam, comes from a certain time in the world when men and women were viewed in very specific in very specific uh, 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 roles, whether it be in a society, in a family, etc. And so Islam, of course, you know, uh, uh, views views women. And, uh, I mean, traditional Islam views women within these very defined roles, a very defined role in in the as far as the family structure, a, de- a defined role in a worship structure, etc. And and to be honest, when it comes to to, to but on the other end, you know, uh, when it comes to worship, for example. Uh, let's look at it, let's look in, 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 in leadership in worship. So some is very clear, you know, uh, in certain roles, uh, for example, you can't have a, a female imam. I you can't have a, a, a female, uh, a leading men in prayer. So th- these types of roles are very, are very, are very clear. But when it comes to other issues as far as rights, you know, so like 1,400 years ago with, with in Islamic law, you know, women are entitled to own, to buy, to sell. Uh, and, 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 have, and, have, and have total authority over everything that they own, over everything that they inherit, which is, which is very interesting if you contrast it to many other uh, laws uh, which, and systems within society which existed 300, 200, 100 years ago and so forth. So therefore, their Islam might be a little, um, a little bit different. So I mean, does woman, does a woman have agency in, in her own life? To a great extent, she does. Uh, can a woman marry herself? You know, so... Traditionally within Islam, uh, and a woman who has not been married before cannot marry herself. She doesn't have agency there. She needs the, the she needs to be married or the permission of a guardian who would traditionally be the father, grandfather, uncle, brother, etc. So I think we, there are definitely are clear roles for women and men. There are certain uh, limitations on 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 what on what women can do and cannot do with within within the aspects of faith uh, and, and practices and so forth. Then also, for example, actions which are not obligation on women. So for example, Friday prayer. You know, we, it's not an obligation upon women. Uh, f- five prayers in the mosque is not an obligation on women. And the religion looks at it in the perspective that a woman's primary role is to be a mother, a daughter in the home, etc. And, and so therefore, it's not ob- obligatory on her then to perform a Friday prayer, etc., etc. Although she has the option to, if she wants to, or does not want to, or if, or if she's allowed by her husband uh, or, her, or, or, or her guardian to leave the house and these, and these issues. But over the last 50, 60 years, there's been a lot of, uh, um, I would say, revisionism. Uh, there's been a lot of engagement, a lot of discussion, a lot of debate, and a lot of rereading of texts. And so I won't say there's, I won't say it's a, it is a phenomenon that there are, not many, but there's a, there's, there's a constant flow of new opinions, new interpretations, uh, gender studies, uh, which are Islamically focused, coming from academia, coming from scholars. And this is a very interesting space and debate to watch at the moment. 
Rav Ramon? Generally, one of the frameworks which is most central to the Jewish view is very, very or diametrically different to a Western, a Western view. Western view really focuses on, on rights. From a Jewish perspective, we're far more focused on obligations, mitzvot, commandments. And, and really, in many ways, this defines the way traditional Judaism has viewed itself. What is one commanded to do individually and what is one commanded to do communally or familiarly? And broadly speaking, uh, commandments devolve equally upon men and women um, in an individual capacity. So I think the, the, the concept of roles is, is interesting because in the Jewish space, it's, it's less about roles and more about what are your obligations and do you, are, are you obliged to do something or are you exempt from it? Broadly speaking, we start off from an initial point of equal obligation of men and women in, uh, in mitzvot, in commandments. Some mitzvot men are not obligated in and women are. Um, and that, that more or less centers around biological differences, things that men simply cannot biologically do, give birth and so forth. And on the other hand, there's certain mitzvot that women are also exempted from. But the the general approach is that men and women are equally obligated. And the sense of obligation is something that they build together in a family and in a community, the sense that we're obligated to perform God's God's commandments. The, the, the practical implementation within Jewish society obviously has varied from space to space. And when one looks at the Torah, at the Bible, we see women performing a huge number of different roles from leadership roles, prophecy, prophecy roles, they're prophets, they're leaders, they're teachers, they lead, they lead, uh, they lead armies. And, and it's a very broad space. I'd say that within traditional Jewish thinking, there are some archetypes which women fill. Um, and it's generally not that well understood. Women are generally portrayed within Jewish literature, within our Talmudic and other literature, as being far more faithful to God than men and as being the ones who take the initiative in bringing about redemption by having faith in God. So it's a generally repeated trope that the women with the women would be the ones in the most desperate times to keep faith and the men would give up. And this is the, the standard midrashic understanding of what happened in Egypt before the Exodus that the men gave up and the women did not that uh, in the desert wandering around, the men gave up and the women did not. It's a repeated trope throughout, uh, throughout Jewish recorded history that the women are sort of the bearers of hope and the audacious rebels often against all odds uh, under Greek oppression, it's the women who took stances. And this is traditional Jewish literature, which is often very critical of the traditional Jewish male leadership of not taking stances. And our own literature records that. It's not revisionist. So that is one part of the role that women are portrayed as, as, as filling within the Jewish role, within the Jewish world. On the other hand, there's definitely, there's definitely significant views within the halachic Jewish legal literature about women taking certain leadership roles, particularly that of a judge or that of a king or a queen. And there's a significant amount of discussion. There's one major, one major opinion, that of Maimonides, who drives this, 
and uh, he he lived in the in the 1100s 1200s and that dominated the discussion for quite a while but over the past couple of hundred years that has been discussed and 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 debated at length and uh, generally one sees a, a trend of women playing vastly greater roles particularly in teaching torah particularly as teachers and scholars and probably over the last 50 years some of the most prominent Jewish scholars in in the fields of Tanakh, uh, Bible study and Torah study have been women, and uh, and that and that has now become sort of a standard feature, broadly speaking, in the in the Orthodox world, not in the ultra Orthodox world, but definitely in the Orthodox world worldwide. Mohammed Nur, Rav Ramon talks about the Orthodox world, the ultra Orthodox world, the modern secular, and I just wonder to what extent is um, the the homogeneity of Islam with regard to women being uh, responded to? I think Islam uh, is no different from, 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 from most other religions and ideologies, you know, that, 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 that have different, of, that they have, you know, the, the tussle between uh, the conservative, the ultra-conservative, uh, whether it be in the, in the execution and understanding the interpretation and so forth. So, I, 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 you know, so, I mean, If you look at a traditionalist views with, 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 with in Mus- within the Muslim world, and you can go and you see where these, where these traditionalist opinions are, are expressed and lived as in cultures. So we go to some parts of the subcontinent, subparts uh, of, of Asia, and you can see the way of life there, you know, where, or where, where, where women are still in the subservient roles uh, and so forth. But if you come to some other parts of the Muslim world, which, uh, which, which I would, which you would quote, quote, unquote, less conservative, you know, Uh, more, more, more bothered for the lack of a better world, uh, word, like in uh, Singapore, Malaysia, Indonesia, uh, some parts of Africa, Muslims in the diaspora, and then you would see, uh, a, a more active role of women, uh, in, 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 uh, in academics, uh, more active roles within the professional role. So I think that the issue of women's roles in Islam also has a lot to do with where they are based. And what type, of, what type of society they live in, and the different identities uh, they have. So, a woman might be a magistrate in South Africa, right? Uh, but with an Islamic, with, with, with an Islamic Sharia, and that a woman cannot be a judge, right? But if a woman acts as an advocate or as a judge within South Africa, it's a different part of identity, and, and, and she's a judge in South Africa. Just, just an example of how this issue of women roles and identity, it's very complex uh, because. You know, as fulfilling your Islamic identity and living Islamic identity on such detailed little issues, which is why one mostly always reverts back to say this is the traditionalist opinion, uh, and this is how it is implemented, and then these are the choices which people uh, have taken. Yeah, I love the complexities involved in it on both sides, and I think that is one of the areas where there are probably more similarities between Judaism and Islam than possibly other areas. Next week, of course, we are focusing on um, halal versus uh, kosher, and I think we might even have a chance to look at structural things such as charity and other pillars of the tenants for both the religions. I am sure you at home have so many questions to ask. I'm sure there are things you'd like to know more about from both Rabbi Ramon Whitmont and Muhammad Nuranuddin. Um, please, please do send in those questions. You can send them to info 
at theacademy.org.za and your questions will be answered in a Zoom webinar on the 13th of December at 7.30pm, which you are invited to attend. To my guests, Rabbi Ramon Whitmond, uh, Dean of the Academy of Jewish Thought and Learning and Mohammed Nurunadun, Social Commentator, Thought Leader and Risk Analyst. Thank you so much for joining me and I'm looking forward to part three next week.